Oh, well, all right. We're live. Hey, thank you. Thank you for doing this. I uh, really appreciate it. Um, I reached out to you because I'm really, uh, I really love your videos. I love your hunting videos. But I also didn't realize that you did uh, guitar videos as well. So I guess the first thing is, is, uh, you know, tell me about yourself, your name and your background and that kind of thing. Well, thank you. I'm glad you enjoy my videos, and thanks for reaching out. Um, my name is Robbie Trujillo, and I'm from New Mexico. I grew up right here in Albuquerque. I grew up hunting with my dad and my uncles, and so ever since I was a little kid, I've enjoyed being outside and hunting and just doing that whole thing with my family and friends. And for the past 23 years, I've been a hunting guide. I started hunting as a hunting guide after I graduated college. So I've done that every fall for this will be actually my 23rd year guiding hunts here in New Mexico. And I just have always loved being out there. I'm pretty much a bow hunter for the most part. That's kind of what I fell in love with first. Every once in a while, I'll go on a rifle hunt, but I feel like myself, I am a bow hunter and that's really what I love to do. September elk hunting with a bow is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, uh, it shows in your videos. Uh, that's what comes across more than anything, uh, is, uh, your passion for it. Number one. And then number two, I don't know if you, you plan it this way, but just your knack of finding like really mature animals, you know, big mature. I mean, I, I go back and forth from mature to quality, to trophy, you know, like those are kind of inter interchangeable for me. But um, you're and you're successful from from the way the way it seems uh, consistently because I've seen the years, you know, kind of progress. And every year you're coming out with something really big. It's either a really big elk or a really big mule deer. And um, I love elk, and I and I've I've hunted elk uh, a little bit. Uh, not even close to the, the experience that you have, but I love, I just love everything about them. I love how vocal they are mm -hmm. and how um, I was, tr I was trying to get, get my thoughts across to Travis, who was the elk manager that I, the, that we did a podcast uh, and uh, I was trying to get my thoughts across to him. And, and I explained it as uh, I feel like they're like a spiritual animal in a way they have like this, uh, this this mystique about them and then he got into the history and uh that kind of it, it really does kind of make sense i mean we as men and i guess as women too but mostly as men we kind of that's kind of where we came from our, our it's in our dna to hunt and uh for some reason contrasting my my experience with uh axis deer and elk even though axis deer is amazing and they taste great and they it's just a completely different experience how vocal elk are and how uh, just mysterious they are. Would you agree to that? Yeah, and that's a big draw to me as far as elk hunting and particularly with a bow in September when they are at their most vocal, you know, during the rut that time of year. Um, just the noise they make, just everything about being in the woods during that time, the temperature 
how cold it gets at night, how hot it is during the day, and just the way they act differently during that time than the rest of the year. They kind of have different ways they act through all the different seasons, but that one is definitely my favorite. And because of the bugling and because of the raking trees and the way they move during that time, you know, that's a big draw of that for me, just the excitement of that. But as far as like mysterious animals, there is something very majestic about elk and especially a big old elk, you know, one that's been around a while. There, it's a totally different animal than, you know, a young bull that's maybe three or four or five years old. When you get up to a bull that's seven, eight, nine, ten years old, that's a totally different animal. And that one, in my mind, is much more mysterious, much more like off on his own a lot more and a lot more majestic. Yeah. Could you, um, just because of your experience, um, uh, I'm going to kind of ask you to dumb it down for me and, and maybe like somebody who's just getting started with elk and like just the animal themselves, um, you know, uh, kind of like where they live, what they're like. Uh, you just described kind of a, a young bull to an old bull. Um, and then, of course, there's cows and that kind of thing. Could you maybe go into uh, their, uh, just who they are, like uh, like how they live, where they live, how they behave in contrast to each other? Well, kind of. I mean, elk right now, they kind of live all over the country, right? Mm -hmm. We're down here in New Mexico. We've got them in Arizona. We were just talking about up in the Pacific Northwest, the elk herds out there. Now, Kentucky and Pennsylvania, out in the eastern parts of the state. So they really can do well anywhere um, from very, very deserty country, very low elevation where there's not many trees even. You can find elk down there all the way up to above timberline. So they're very versatile, I guess. I mean, they, they can get around and they can do well in a lot of places. As far as like, you know, different times of the year right now during the summertime, they're growing their antlers, they're spending their time feeding as much as they can, they're following the feed around as it, you know, starts greening up in the springtime. So wherever the rains start, you know, their elk are kind of kind of kind of going to go to wherever they need to, wherever the <laughs> it's like I think we're oh, it's coming down. Oh, that's I coming down. I don't know down. what happened. Oh, that's what Okay, we're, we're recording again. We had some technical difficulties here with the, with the microphone arm, so I think we're good. All right, so where were we? <laughs> yeah, so just I was talking about just what's going on with them right now. We're kind of, we're in June, you know, so they've been growing antlers coming out of, you know, the springtime when they lost their antlers. So they're, they're looking for food, looking for nutrition to build up their strength for the rut, you know, which typically around here is mid-September, towards the end of September is kind of when the peak of the rut for elk is in New Mexico. So bulls, a lot of them are hanging out together with each other. Um, they're not with cows or the calves generally right now. It's bulls off to themselves, the cows, and they're having their calves right now. And so they're all doing their thing, you know, the females and the, the babies 
are together, bulls are either by themselves or together during this time, then, you know, in September during the rut, the bulls, they all break up and they're all looking for cows during that time. Then after, after the rut's done, they've used up a lot of energy. They're worn out. So they're off back by themselves, bedding down a lot, not moving a whole lot. A lot of times they'll be with other bulls throughout that, you know, late fall and winter. And then you know, they drop their antlers and kind of start over again. But that's kind of... That's the cycle. Yeah, just, you know, kind of how they act differently during the different times of year. Yeah. Now, does that mirror pretty much uh, uh, mule deer as well? Just not maybe too much of a herd animal, but kind of similar. They mm-hmm. they bachelor up at right around the same times. And then they, you know, uh, whether it's they... Uh, they fight uh, and and breed in the right around the same time and then drop their antlers same kind of behavior yeah yeah basically the same except mule deer like here the rut is a couple months later gotcha mule deer rut here in new mexico is generally later november and december and even january down further south the southern part of the state gotcha now this might be a silly question but those bulls um and or bucks that are uh bachelored up is it possible that those are the same ones that are trying to kill each other during the rut? Mm-hmm. Really? So they can I be... mean, trying to fight and, you know, yes. Yeah, I mean, they're hanging out with each other. I, I feel like, you know, a lot of them grew up together. Wow. In same areas, you know, maybe family, cousins, whatever, you know, same dads, same moms, sort of like family units in certain areas areas it's not always you know there can be new animals that come into an area and so so some bulls maybe hung out together but then they all possibly spread out gone to different areas to rut because you'll see a lot of times elk spends the summer in one area and then in uh, late august or september he's 15 miles away 20 Mm -hmm. miles away from where he spent most of his summer with other bulls. So they very well could be yeah. the same, you know, they likely know each other and they know how, how strong they are and how strong the other one is. And that, you know, during the rut, they're kind of testing and, you know, checking in on others. Yeah, I see. So for the most part, they, for the most part, they know each other. Yeah. I yeah. feel like they do. I mean, I don't know. I haven't done. Sure. Sure. You're, you do have a, you, you mentioned before the podcast that you're a wildlife biologist though, right? I got my degree in wildlife science to be a wildlife biologist. Oh, I see. I never actually did that as a full-time job. I worked some summers with biologists in Arizona and Montana and a few summers here in New Mexico, just seasonal jobs working with and for biologists, but I never actually became that. I applied and was offered a wildlife biologist job and right then I was really getting into music and decided to say no to the wildlife thing and I moved to Nashville and went to school out there and started writing songs and playing music oh that's cool doing that so so yeah but I did go to school that was my first plan was to be a biologist that's cool so I'm sure that that helps you uh in your guiding and your hunting I I was asked that very recently. I don't feel like like the stuff I learned in school or 
or even the jobs I had, I don't feel like any of that really helped me with my hunting. Really? I feel like, I mean, cause I was, I grew up in the woods basically as soon as I could walk, my dad and my uncles would take me with them when they were hunting. So I feel like basically all of my hunting was learned through experience. I see. I see. Wow. Okay. I could see that. Um, you mentioned the music and you have your, your guitars out here. Uh, nice ones too. Uh, Martin and what's that one? Gibson? There's a Yamaha and a Ibanez. Oh, okay. Um, is there a um, similarity to the art of music and the the sport and kind of art of hunting? Do you see any like uh, parallels there? Both of them just to me are very relaxing. Just anytime I'm sitting there just strumming my guitar by myself, it's kind of my own time and I'm totally at ease when I've got a guitar in my hand, even in front of hundreds or thousands of people. Mm -hmm. I'm totally confident if I'm sitting there with a guitar. Same thing when I'm out in nature, even just hiking, not, not necessarily even hunting, but when I'm hunting, I am also just very, very relaxed, very at ease, like I feel safe out there compared to when I'm at the mall or I'm in a you know, at a party with 30 people and there's just stuff going on. Yeah. Um, I definitely feel out of my element a lot of times, but for me playing guitar or being out in the woods, I guess that's probably the biggest parallel I can think of just how comfortable and myself that I feel I like in those two situations. Do you feel like it's because you're an expert at both? Or did you always feel that way? Like as soon as you picked up a guitar, you felt comfortable or, you know, when you're out in the woods with your dad and your uncles, you felt comfortable out there. Is yeah. Yeah. It was more like immediately, you know, I'm in my, element. you're yeah. in your element. Mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. yeah. Even when I didn't know what I was doing. Oh, that's awesome. All. Yeah. I started playing guitar when I was in high school and felt totally uncomfortable and awkward. But once I picked up a guitar and started playing that kind of really changed my life actually and just gave me a lot more confidence and gave me something that wow I feel like this is me right here you feel at home and, mm -hmm. wow that's great that's great um I, I'd love to talk about the guitar stuff because I, I I don't play like you play but I have <laughs> I have a guitar and I strum it and I do oh. feel that yeah I feel mm -hmm. that kinship with it too uh, that immediate comfort um but I'm not even close to an expert. Just know a few chords and it, it's calming to me. Mm -hmm. um, I, and the reason why I ask is because I feel like there is, even though I'm not at, at that level, I do feel comfort when picking up a guitar and just kind of strumming it as similar to being out in the woods. Um, not as comfortable, especially out in the woods, because I I don't have those years in to know how to be calm in in certain situations when a bull is screaming and he's right there or um my heart's I, it's hard for me to to bring my heart rate down I, I feel my heart thumping a lot of times <laughs> like I can feel it yeah and I almost feel like that whether it's a deer or the elk can hear it if mm -hmm. that makes sense because it's to me it's so loud yeah yeah and I've 
consciously tried to work on that. Do you feel that way too? I mean, you, it sounds like you're, you're probably a lot more calm in those situations now, right? Yeah, I'm definitely calmer at sometimes, some points. Sometimes I lose all control still. Really? And it just kind of depends on the situation. If something's happening fast or something's happening slow or it's a unusually giant animal that, you know, I don't see very commonly, sometimes that will just get everything going more uncontrollably. Mm-hmm. But I remember the first deer that I ever had, you know, like I could not even pull my bow or hold my arms straight or I was just shaking uncontrollably, you know, the first time. But guiding a lot of hunters and going on a lot of hunts myself, you know, I've been able to, I've seen it a lot and been through those situations a lot. So I can be calmer, but every once in a while still, I lose it all. And like basically the feeling of, that first buck when I was, you know, 12 years old or whatever mm-hmm. comes back to where I have no control and I can't calm myself down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's like a drug. I mean, that's what the way you're explaining it sounds like, Oh my gosh, it sounds like it's, if you did something like uh, cocaine or something <laughs> that just, you, you can't control it. Yeah. That's interesting. Um, it, can you think of a situation that has happened recently, like after all these years, is something that happened very recently to where you like lost all control? Yes. And it was, I mean, maybe not in, not, this is probably six or seven years ago. I haven't got drawn, so I haven't really hunted elk myself the last three or four years. Um, it's been that long since I've drawn a tag, but seven or probably seven years ago, I was hunting with a rifle which I don't do a whole lot. Mm. And I was hunting a very big deer that I guided a hunter on in like mid-October. And I saw this buck the first day and we tried to get him and my hunter ended up missing him. And then I actually had a, my own tag like the next week. And I had seen this buck twice already throughout the season giant three by three, 33 inches wide, just no eye guards, but it just looked like a huge white tail Mm -hmm. and super, super wide buck, awesome looking buck. And I really wanted him. And I was so bummed when my hunter missed him, you know, and we should have had him, but I had a tag later on and I basically saw that buck the first morning, like just walking through this super thick, Pinon and Juniper just out to a spot where I wanted to glass from. And I remember the ground being frozen. It was just hard, you know, late in end of October or November, Mm -hmm. super, super cold morning. And it, you know, just felt like you're walking on concrete out there in the sandy dirt. But I was just walking and he was on the same path as I was. (laughs) And like 50 yards, I come around a tree and we saw each other at the same time. And he just looked at me, turned around, jumped and took off. And I couldn't believe it because it's hard to find deer in these areas anyway. And seeing that buck, especially just in that close of a proximity to me was just shocking in the first place. Um, but anyway, he took off. I ended up somehow 
finding his track because he was running. The ground was frozen, but every once in a while I could find just a little bit because he was a big 300 pound deer, probably, Jeez. you know, to like a bigger old buck, huge bodied buck. Wow. And so even though the ground was frozen, there were some spots where he was, as he was running, he was leaving a little bit of track for me to know that, okay, he came through there. Maybe not much of a track, but a rack was like rolled over or moved out of place, or there was just a little gash in the frozen ground. It was very interesting, but I ended up tracking that buck pretty much the rest of that day. And as it warmed up, like I could follow his track, the ground kind of thawed. And so I was able to follow his track around. And there were a couple of times when I lost it, when he got into a lot of other deer, but I never saw him again. I don't know if I saw him again that day, but it was the next day I went back to the last place I had his track and I followed it around and then he had spent the night. And so there was tracks everywhere and I really couldn't follow them. So I was walking, just making a loop back kind of around the edge where I thought he had gone. Mm-hmm. And I was almost back to my truck and almost to the road. And I hear a buck jump up. I heard oh, a deer, man. he was bedded and I just heard him jump up and take off running. So I ran over there and he, he passed right by my truck, like 30 <laughs> yards from my truck. He crossed the road, <laughs> but I was on his track and it was the afternoon then. And I could follow his track fairly well. And I, so I followed it up over the road, down around. And then I saw like where he was headed. So I just immediately looked at the country. I was like, I need to go up there. So I stopped following his track, went and got right above him where I thought he was going, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking, okay, maybe I can find him bedded and spot him instead of following him. Cause it's hard to get on a buck and get a shot at a buck when you're just following tracks. They hear you a long time generally before you, you jump them or anything like that. So I just got up to the, this ridge top and I was walking along and I thought, okay, this is about where I need to start looking. So I just walk out to the edge and sneak it down. You know, I kind of crawl out to the edge because you got to be careful when you're up high. They can see very, very well. And I just kind of crawled out there with my binoculars and I look and I just see his rack laying there, <laughs> half of his body just staring the other way. And oh, man. I freaked out right then because first of all, like there's a huge buck. Second of all, I really didn't think I was going to see him or had much chance of seeing him. But all of a sudden there he is. And I just totally, <laughs> everything went out the window. I just grabbed my rifle, put like my knee on my shoulder. Like I had plenty of time. He had no clue I was there. I could have, should have got, you know, a nice good rest, got my pack laid down. Yeah. But I just threw up my gun and <laughs> shot. Oh, no. And I hit, like, right here. I see the dust, like, fly. Uh-huh. And he jumps up and takes off. I never got him. Ended up killing that buck the next year, the first day of the hunt next year. You with, did? With one of my hunters. Oh, with yeah, another mm-hmm. hunter. Wow. Yeah. But oh, that's the, the, the time that I can remember most recently where I just was an idiot and basically looked like I had no clue what I was doing. Yeah, he got the best of you. Yeah, <laughs> that, that rat got the best of you. Yes. When you said you just threw up the gun, I was like, no, you didn't. 
I was so surprised. And then after, I'm like, oh my gosh, what did you, like, I'm such an idiot. It was horrible. Uh, uh, I hate reliving that. I hate that you brought that up. And that I <laughs> sorry. Because no, it's embarrassing. No, it's a great, it's a, <laughs> it's a great story though. Cause it, it tells, it tells us, it tells me anyway, that even somebody with, with your experience, your tenure in the woods and all that can still like, a, a buck can still get to you, mm-hmm. you know, or an elk can still get to you like that. Yeah. And, and that's, uh, it's reassuring for like me later on down the road, you know, thinking that, Hey, it's just going to be like anything else that you do a lot of You're It's, you're just maybe going to get tired of it, but mm-hmm. obviously you don't, <laughs> Yeah, you know, and you're still doing it. You, um, one thing that I got from your videos is that you do, you do a lot of scouting and, I I drew a tag this year, first tag here, and it's for mule deer. And I think I told you this; it's in the, it's in the unit uh, north five B. Supposed to be a good unit. And I've been watching your videos, and um, and I'm, and what I wanted to ask you is, you do a lot of scouting, and you find a lot of animals. I mean, of course you you know you're making a video, so you're going to put your best stuff there. I would think, mm. but. How difficult is it? I was even driving here. It's like a three-hour drive here. So I'm, I'm driving and I'm taking pictures of the countryside as I'm driving. And I, I, I kind of wanted to show them to you because I'm, I, I drive this road, you know, from Albuquerque to Farmington quite a bit now. And I always look out there. Sometimes I'll even pull over and I have, I'll pull my binos out and I'll just start glassing just out of nowhere just to, just mm-hmm. to look. And I don't see much. And, and, and I, I feel like sometimes I just don't know where to look cause I don't know mule deer mm-hmm. like that. Of course, when it's hot, you're going to look under trees. I mean, that's what I would think if, you know, that's where I'd be, you know, I'd right. be, I'd be in the shade. So I, I, I've done that a lot, but I'm not, I don't see much and I don't know if, if it's because, you know, of, of course I'm, we're right by the interstate number one and they're, they, they might not even be there, but then I've, I've also been surprised. I've seen them. I've seen deer like good sized deer right by the interstate. Mm-hmm. I saw, I saw, it was at night though, coming back from doing that same drive Albuquerque out to Farmington. This mule deer looked like an elk. I mean, he was humongous with, and he was still in velvet, mm-hmm. but I, I, I had turned my truck around. I was like, was that an elk? And I turned around. Sure enough, it was mule deer. And he's just, he's looking at me on the top of a, like a small little hill then bounds off. I was like, I was waiting for it because it was at night and my put my my brights on him and he was he was kind of far out. But I'm like, okay, is that an elk? And then he starts bounding. I'm like, that's a humongous <laughs> mule deer buck. Uh-huh. And so they obviously are close to the road sometimes. I don't know if it's more at night, but my question for you more than anything else is it seems that you find success in your scouting. Where do you where are you looking? Yeah, just everywhere, basically. And I feel you when, you know, you say you go out there and you stop and you look and you look and you look and you just don't see anything. And that happens a lot. Even during these hunts, you know, like the hunt I just told you about with that big deer, you know, I'm basically spending all day out there glassing, hiking to different spots, driving to different spots, and all day from daylight till dark I'm looking through the binoculars and there's some days when I don't see a deer all day long and what does that tell you does it tell you I'm in the wrong spot or does it tell you they're just 
deer are hard to see. And especially like, depending where you're at, like the stuff you're talking about, a lot of Northern New Mexico, a lot of sagebrush, a lot of thick, you know, trees, pockets, rocks, little, little draws you can't see. There's just a lot of places where if they're not moving, even if they are moving, sometimes you just can't see them. So I can sit up on a, a big ridge and look at a lot of country. You know, I can see a couple, two, three, four miles, and I can see a lot of miles further out. And I can sit there for two or three hours. And if if there's a lot of times I feel like, okay, if there's a deer visible, I'm going to see it. Especially if it's up, a lot of times I'm going to spot those. But a lot of them, especially like when we're hunting during hunting season, the animals aren't up feeding much. Mm. It gets daylight. They're bedded. They might get up for an hour, you know, mid-morning or something, feed around a little bit. They're back down. And, you know, when there's just part of a nose sticking out from behind a rock or a bush or, you know, an antler tip sticking up over a rock that you could maybe see, you know, most people aren't going to see those and I don't see a lot of them. Mm. So elk are totally different. Like I can go down and glass for those and they're a lot bigger animal. They're easier to see. Deer are super tough to see. Mm. And so I just spent three days up, you know, in your neck of the woods. I didn't see one deer in three days. I didn't do a whole lot of glassing, but I was stopping and, spending some time in the mornings and evenings and during the day looking in, you know, like you say, shady spots. It's hot out there. They're mm-hmm. not out moving around a whole lot. So you're looking at all the shade you can look at. Um, but in three days, I didn't see a deer. Oh, that's frustrating. Um, yeah. And you look at so much country that looks great and it's like, well, the, there's got to be things here. But a lot of it, you know, they're, they're scattered out. So there's some areas where there's a whole lot more animals than others. Yeah. Um, and that's just based on where the feed is and that time of the year. So you can have a bunch of deer in one area for a couple of weeks and then in, then they've moved on and you, you're looking at an area that really doesn't have many deer now mm. just because of the way they move, you know, kind of back and forth, depending on where the feed's good or pressure or all that kind of different things. But yeah, the country up North, especially high sagebrush. I mean, a deer can be standing out there feeding with his head down and there might be that much of his back sticking up Mm. and you're not probably not going to spot that because of the color of it and the color of the sagebrush they just blend in so good yeah difficult to see yeah so you really gotta just look close look close look and like really pick it apart Mm -hmm. yeah and a lot of times you'll i'll sit there and look at a spot for an hour not see anything and then all of a sudden an animal stood up and now it's moved and just laid down in a different spot, but now it's actually visible where it's yeah. laying in the shade where I could see it, where before it was behind a little bush or, you know, a little tree or the, a rock. There the whole time. Little, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So always, I always assume there's animals there, I whether see. I can see them, whether they're visible or not. Whenever I'm looking, I've, I'm assuming there's something down there. That's a good way to think about it mm-hmm. and not get frustrated. Yeah, because that's a lot of people get very frustrated when they sit there for 10 minutes. They'll be like, well, there's nothing here. I'm like, well, there likely is something there. You just can't see it. I see. I see. Um, in your guiding, uh, it sounds like you've guided a lot. 
um, in your guiding, um, one thing was going through my mind as I was driving here. I was like, I wonder if he he's ever had uh, client clients is what you'd call mm-hmm. them, right? Clients uh, that that you didn't like <laughs> that, that were like, you know, just you know, upsetting you for whatever reason, whether they're impatient or they're uh, I don't know, they don't have good safety habits or anything like that. What, what, I'm sure you've had that. What, what, yeah. do you, what do you do in those situations? Do you, you communicate with them or do you kind of let it go? Or I guess it depends on the situation. Yeah, it all depends. And most hunters are great. Most of them I get along with great. Some of them are just, you know, they come with a little bit higher of an expectation or they, you know, like you say, they get impatient or frustrated. A lot of the hunts are tough. You know, a lot of the people that come out here to hunt, they watch some TV shows or read some articles and you hear about great hunting or you see great hunting, you know, on a show or something. And they come with this idea that, okay, there's animals everywhere Mm -hmm. or, you know, the hunting's amazing. But a lot of times hunting is tough. And, and so if you go a day or two and you're not seeing much people, with a super high expectation of, you know, they were expecting something, they had something in their mind. And if it's a tougher hunt, they can be very frustrated. And I just... Yeah, how do you deal with that? You know, I just go on about hunting. I'm like, we're hunting. You know, we're doing what we what we can do. It can change just like that. And mm-hmm. I've seen miserable hunters you know, super frustrated and down and hopeless and feeling like it's impossible, you know, to be on a hunt like that. And then immediately, 15 minutes later, they've got their dream animal on the ground. Yeah, elated. Like like it can all happen, turn so quickly. And so I just try to stay positive. In my mind, I've, I've seen plenty of tough hunts, but I'm very confident we're probably going to find something as long as we stay out there and continue hunting as hard as we should be, yeah. we're going to, we're going to do all right and probably give you an opportunity to get what you want. Yeah. And, and then you just get other guys who complain a lot and that I just try to ignore and yeah, it's tough. Yeah. Yeah. And just kind of do my own thing, but still try my best, but you get all kinds of people. You never know who you're going to get. Yeah. And so some of those hunts can be a little difficult um, when you've got someone who's not a very happy hunter or they're frustrated or they're just expecting something that, that they're not getting, but you just do what you can. Most of them are pretty awesome though. Some yeah. of my, the best friends in my world, in my life, you know, have come as clients and they're great friends now. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. How do they find you just like I did, like on like YouTube videos and they just kind of look you up and say, Hey man, yeah. I want to go on. I work for an outfitter, New Mexico oh. professional, big game hunting Ben and John and Mick Chapel, they've been outfitting um, for years and years, a long time. And so I've worked for them. And so they basically find the hunters. Hunters call them and, you know, they've got a website. They go to shows, you know, to where they're, they've got their booths and they're talking to people to get hunters. But yeah, they've been doing it a long time. So they're, they're pretty well known. I see. And so they just come to them and then Mick or John, they'll call me, you know, and they'll book the hunters for me and then just hire me as a guide. I'm not an outfitter myself. I see. I work for them. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So, um, 
do they call you in, in like certain situations like for specialty stuff like from what i've seen the elk and mule deer are your two specialties or that's what we hunt the most yeah and i mean they do oryx they do antelope hunts they do cougar hunts they have hound dogs they do bear hunts with um bear and lion with the dogs but pretty much hunt everything around new mexico and mm-hmm. they've done that for a long time i enjoy elk and deer mostly i've done antelope hunts i've done bear hunts as well mm-hmm. but you know i they'll they'll pretty much give me any you know if i wanted to go hunt bears more they would let me do that if i wanted to go hunt lions more they would invite me along and have me do that i just for me like kind of september october november and then i'm kind of ready to be done with hunting season yeah. You know, they do a lot of the lion hunting all the way through the winter and, you know, into the springtime. So they're pretty busy and I need a little bit of a break. Yeah. Have you been on an, on cougar hunts before? I went on one. Yeah. What'd you, what were your thoughts on it? I enjoyed it. It was interesting. Um, it was that we were, we had an elk hunt and my hunter killed a bull the first day and then it snowed. And so they had a lion hunter lined up like for the next day or two. And so we just went out that morning after the snow found a track and it's when Ben and John, they were really young when I met them, mm-hmm. they were like six, eight years old and dropped us off with the dogs and followed the track. Then we went back, got the hunter and, you know, it, we didn't have to follow the lion very far. He didn't go too far, mm-hmm. you know, so it was a quick hunt, but it was interesting just to see, how the dogs work and how excited they get with that. Yeah. But they, that's the only time I've ever been. Uh, it's not something I really care to do on my own, but a lot of people are inter- in, into that. And, you know, it's all about the dogs, those hunts. They're the ones doing all the work, yeah. staying on the track and, you know, finding that. Yeah. They tree them, right? They, mm-hmm. they, they shoot them up in the tree usually. Yep. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. I've always wanted to check that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I, who was I talking to? I was talking to somebody about cougar hunting and we were, we were chatting about how different it would be to have the cougar in the tree, like all scared with all the dogs around to shoot a cougar like that. But Hey, I mean, I guess they do it. That's uh that's, uh, that's their specialty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, what really fascinates me is bears. Um, I actually, I'm scheduled to fly to Maine to talk to this this uh, guy that's trapped bears for 40 years for Maine uh, Game and Fish up there that just retired recently. And uh, I'm super excited to do that because there's a ton of bears, I guess, in Maine mm-hmm. and, uh, and moose up there too. So mm-hmm. I'll be talking to a moose guy and a bear guy. When you did your, gu- you, you've guided bear too? Mm-hmm. Just you, a couple ones, yeah. When you guide bear, do you, is it, is baiting legal? No. Oh, no. So you have to really, basically the same as uh, kind of like elk and deer. You just got a glass and find yeah, them? Yeah, just spot and stalk stuff. You can hunt them with dogs also, okay. and so they do that at times. But when I've guided for them, it's just you're out there glassing, looking, ah. looking, trying to find, trying to spot a bear and then, you know, make a stalk on it and get into it. I've hunted them by myself a couple times where I've gone out and done some calling Mm-hmm. Uh, just predator calling and i've called in several bears actually like that most really? of them were not during hunting season um so i was just calling and you know called them in i called one in when i was actually hunting but i wasn't able to get a shot at him but other than that yeah you're basically just out there 
trying to get to a spot, just like hunting deer or elk, get to a good spot where you feel like there's animals, where you can see a lot of country and just out there glassing. Yeah. When you're looking for bears, are you are you pretty much looking where there's deer habitat? Because that, that's, that, are they? Not necessarily, just kind of anything, you know, like deer and elk habitat, just whatever. I mean, they, they eat a lot of juniper berries. They eat a lot of, you know, acorns, that kind of stuff. I see. Um, so just kind of looking in those areas that I've kind of known or seen bears like while I've been out, out hunting elk or deer. Mm -hmm. And so, so that's kind of usually where I'm looking for them. I see. Are they in a certain, are they in certain areas that you, that would be different than like where you'd find mule deer or elk? No, like, like, not oh, this really. Is, you wouldn't look at an area and say, Oh, this is bear habitat. Some of it, like, like, like maybe a really rough area, like a, steep canyon with a lot of rocks or a, a lot of like oaks or like acorns or something like that at different times of the year. Mm -hmm. And, you know, bears are like deer and elk. They go, you know, where the, where the feed is. Yeah. So they can be in one area where they're just eating grass all summer where it's nice and green or, you know, where there's maybe elk calves being born where they can sure. maybe find those and get those. But, you know, the other times of year when the acorns are getting ripe yeah, berry and, patches. And more edible and, berries, raspberries, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, that's neat. Um, you mentioned uh, uh, the, uh, you were, the reason why you're up in that area in the northern area. Is that, you said, for a governor's tag? Correct. Is that, is that yeah. where that is? Yeah. We're, well, it's kind of all over the state. Oh, okay. Like we, we're looking everywhere, really. Uh -huh. But everyone knows that northern New Mexico is kind of known for bigger mule deer. A lot of record book mule deer have been killed up there in the past. Mm -hmm. So that's an area where we, you know, we don't want to skip out on that, but really anywhere in the state, you know, we're hunting elk and deer. And so we're always looking out and, you know, talking to people, you know, trying to just find a giant deer. Yeah. Why is that, why is that area known for that, that, that that two is it two B two C two A whatever just like that yeah that whole you know north really the whole northern part of the state mm -hmm. is really known of our, at, for that but up around the Hickoria Indian Reservation there's been so many giant mule deer killed up there and I'm not exactly sure why I feel like it's habitat one thing excellent genetics yeah you know sort of mild winters compared to like, you know, some of the Northern States. Um, I think it's just a lot of factors that mm -hmm. go on because for, for a long time they've been killing big deer up there. Yeah. And that Hickory area of, again, I've heard a lot about that. area. Yeah. And there they just manage it very well. They, there's not that many tags. So that's a big thing with all of these areas for big animals. Like you've got to let, let them grow up to be old enough where they can actually be a giant. And so on the Hickoria Indian Reservation, they're not giving very many tags, but if you go to like the public land areas that we hunt, in my opinion, there's way too many tags for, for deer. They kill a lot of deer. And so it, it really hurts the quality 
of the animals. And I, you could kind of see that over, you know, the past 25 years that I've been hunting up there. Um, so you've seen a decline? Just in the number of big animals and, you know, kind of overall deer, it seems like. I mean, it used to be, yeah. And back then, like, we didn't know what we were doing. We weren't that great of hunters. These days, people are becoming better and better and better hunters with, you know, better binoculars. You know, they got better information on how to find animals and stuff. And back then, it was just, you know, go out there and hunt. But I feel like now, you know, we've got our spotting scopes and, we, you know, we know the areas a whole lot better. And it's just tougher to find animals. I see. And it's tougher to find those older animals that, you know, a lot of us are looking for. Mm. And it's, you know, they're, when they kill so many, just a lot of them don't make it up, you know, to be five, six, seven, eight years old, which is where they need to be to be that record class kind of animal to grow, you know, that big set of antlers. So six to eight? Yeah, six and up, you know, basically for, for mule deer. I see. Mm-hmm. So over the years, you've seen um, what have you what 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 upsets you about like what you're seeing? Are are you upset about like kind of where hunting is headed in a way? I mean, like a lot. Are you seeing like a, a lot of new hunters? Are you still seeing the the etiquette that you saw back in the day? Or like, is there anything that you're like, man, I wish that we could change this? I guess that I wish. I mean, when I was in college, it was awesome. I could put in for the top units in the state and get drawn every year, basically. Mm. You know, it's tough to get drawn now. You know, I've gone five, six, seven years without drawing an elk tag. I know other people that have been, you know, 10 or 15 years in New Mexico applying and haven't drawn, you know, the hunts they're applying for. Now there's a big thing to that. I'm putting in for the best units, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. So they're the toughest to draw. I could go and apply for other units and draw hunts easier but in those units, it's not very likely I'm going to find the animal I want to hunt. Mm. Like, I don't just want to go shoot a deer or just go shoot an elk. I want to go shoot, you know, the biggest elk that I can find. Because right. in my, you know, at my stage, and it's really never been about just killing an animal for me. I love the meat. I really want to have the meat. And I'm sad that I don't have any meat left in my freezer because mm-hmm. I haven't... Um, killed anything in the last two or three years. I love that. But for me, it's not about that. It's more about the challenge of finding an older, more mature animal that is wiser and smarter and more of a challenge to, to actually get close to find hunt and actually harvest. Um, and so I put in for these, these units that, that are tough, tougher to draw. So that was the nice thing. Like I, I, took it for granted back then, but Mm. now, you know, when you don't get drawn and for me, like I don't love hardly anything more than being able to go elk hunting with a bow in September. So it's, you know, kind of a, a pretty big bummer when I don't get drawn, but it's just gotten more popular and more, more and more people are becoming bow hunters and just hunters in general. It seems like, and New Mexico is getting more popular And so it's just, it's a lot of, it's just tough to, you know, it's not like it was. It's just tougher to just know that, okay, I'm going to put in for, 
New Mexico, Arizona, and Utah, and I'm probably not going to draw a tag. Oh, so that's that's the biggest thing is you think uh, it's just more hunters or less tags or a combination of the two? I don't feel like it's less tags. Uh. And, uh, you know, I don't, you know, from what I was looking at before, and I never really kept up on like how many tags they're issuing, but I feel like, you know, for a lot of years, there's been a couple hundred tags, you know, in the units I'm applying for. And it's still like that today. Mm. And, but a lot of it, I think it's just popularity. You know, we've got great hunting and people see that. And so more and more people want to come in to hunting, which is good. I mean, the more hunters we have, the better for our sport, just for like an individual, you know, if I want to go hunting every year, it's not that easy. Yeah. And it's, it's more from what Travis told me as, as far as like hunting licenses and stuff, it's more popular than ever. Like they're breaking records as far as the amount of people that are applying. Right. Yeah. And that's what I feel like it is too. Yeah. What, is there a, hmm, is there a remedy to that? What if it just keeps getting like more and more and more and more popular? Well, I, I, I mean, I imagine it is. Or it's going to, huh? Yeah. I don't know. And I don't know that there is a remedy. Yeah. In, in like Britain uh, or some other like European countries, I, I've, from what I understand, it's like the king sport, right? They don't mm -hmm. have the, the public lands that we have. Like mm -hmm. a lot of those lands are, I don't know, uh, pri either private or uh, you have to have a lot of money in order to hunt in some of those countries. I'm wondering if, if we'll ever get that way or, or start taking a turn towards that because I mean it doesn't sound like it's sustainable if it continues like it gets more and more popular because I, I mean I discovered it lately mm -hmm. you know like you know five seven years ago mm -hmm. and I feel like w sitting next to somebody like you I feel like an imposter in a way like I'm like I don't know if I should even be here you know <laughs> what I mean I'm very big on respect and so I feel like hey, I don't I have maybe I haven't earned the respect to like when you say you didn't draw a tag and I drew one, I'm like, it's kind of not fair, is it? Like, I'm thinking to myself, I'm happy I did, mm -hmm. but it wasn't an elk tag, it was a deer tag, but it was a tag, tag in a good unit. Yeah. And then I sit here with you, and I'm like, wait a minute, like, you've been hunting all these years, and you haven't drawn, and like, kind of, how is that fair? And then you, you, you compare the different states too, right? So mm -hmm. this state is different on that, just like everybody's on the same playing field here. Yeah. But when you go to somewhere else and, and points and those kinds of things are accumulated, then you're more, you, you would be more apt to draw in a, in a state like that. Do you feel like, do you like the way New Mexico does it that way? Yeah, I'm happy with the way they do things. I mean, the point thing, I don't feel like I have any better chance over there because I think I've got 15 years applying in Utah and I've never drawn over there. Hmm. I've got, you know, points every year. Yeah. Um, just more popular places. And, you know, it's not like they can, you know, the game and fish and the managers, they've got a tough job. They've got to balance it. You yeah, know, they know. want to make as many people happy, but you can't over hunt the animals. So you've only, you've got this limited amount of tags you can issue every year for these hunts in units. And you've got all these people applying and more and more, more people applying every year, it seems, but hunting the same 
number of animals every year. So it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And I think it's totally fair that you drew a hunt and I did not, I mean, there's nothing I'm happy that, that you're interested in it and you, it's something you're interested in and get to do just for me. It's just like a little bit sad when I don't, and I know there's, you know, we, I guess everyone has an opportunity to hunt every year in New Mexico, which is kind of a cool thing with landowner tags. Yeah. If you got enough money, you can go and buy an elk tag every year if you want. But that's super out of control to where it's becoming more and more difficult for an average person to afford those tags just because of the demand. More and more people want those tags. If they don't draw, and there's plenty of people with a lot of money out there in the country and the world who will pay $20,000 to hunt an elk every year. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Mm -hmm. Those so I've got that opportunity. I just don't make enough money yet to be able to go <laughs> and take advantage of of that. Yeah. So it's there and it's all fair and it's everything is always changing. Yeah, that's why I meant by the whole king sport thing right. like mm -hmm. it we're to your point we're kind of moving in that direction in, in some in some circles. Yeah. Um yeah, it makes me it makes me sad a little bit, you know, cuz you know, who knows next year I might I'd be, I'd really be upset next year because I've gotten lucky these last two years. Mm -hmm. So I'd be upset next year if I didn't draw anything. I'd be like, what, well, what am I going to do in September then? Yeah. You know, I don't mm -hmm. guide. Am I going to get out there too and just glass or? Right. I mean, I certainly, I feel like I would, I would just love to be out there and help somebody too. Mm -hmm. I think that would be great. Yeah. Just, there's always opportunities like that. You know, there's, everyone wants a hunting buddy or someone to go glass with them. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people do. Um, do you bow hunt? I I would never say that I do right now mm -hmm. because I'm it's so new to me. I do have a bow yeah. and I I don't practice enough to say that I'm a bow hunter. I mean, mm -hmm. I would love to say that, but I I again with the the reverence and the respect that I have for it, I would never say that until I actually was really good at at you know at a certain. I think like forty yards is mm -hmm. fair, and to be consistent at forty yards, hitting that bullseye. And being able to go out there and harvest an animal like that, yeah. I mean, I'm already like a bag of nerves anyway. Like, <laughs> I can just imagine being that close with a bow, mm -hmm. you know. I'd love to do it. Yeah. But, I mean, with a rifle, my heart's beating out of my chest, mm -hmm. you know. So it's, uh, uh, yeah, good question. I'd, I'd like to. I'd mm -hmm. like to. I just haven't done it enough. And, yeah. And as you know, you have to be good because if not, you're injuring the animal. You know, there's a good chance you injure the animal unless you're like really perfect. You mm -hmm. know, it's such a small target. So many variables that go into it. Yeah. I My hat's off to hunters that, that are that are hunting with bow and, and that are successful. Yeah, it's tough. And, you know, like bow hunting, no matter how you go good you are or how prepared you are, there's things that could go wrong. Yeah. And, you know you wound animals and it's the worst thing in the world. It feels horrible to shoot something and, you know, not, not have hit it well enough to take it down. Yeah. Um, I've been fortunate and not, not had that happen, you know, on any elk. The first deer I shot, I wounded and we did not find and oh. it was a horrible thing. Yeah. horrible thought but it happens a lot and you know you see hunters come out every year and 
you know, we take a lot of bow hunters out there and people, you know, they've practiced and practiced and they have plenty of experience and just, you know, when the nerves are going, yeah, there's not a whole lot you can do. And you just hope for the best. The good thing is these animals are super tough. Yeah. You find, we kill animals and you find a broadhead in them from two years ago. You find muzzleloader bullets in them from the past. Yeah. And most of the time, if you wound something, it's going to heal up and just be fine. Yeah. That makes me a little sad. I, I, I even, I, I had a thought like this was uh, last year. I don't know. <laughs> it was like a few months. I was just like, thought the bow hunters were just so irresponsible. Mm. <laughs> I don't know why I was mm -hmm. thinking that to myself. Cause I, I guess I had a rash of people during that time that were hunting with bows that had injured animals mm -hmm. and missed and this and that. Oh yeah, I hit him here and I couldn't find him. And then somebody else said the same thing. And I'm like, God, why is, why are these people? Cause I don't understand it. Mm -hmm. Right. So I, I'm not that good to be in that situation. To, yeah. I, I, but I know what goes into it. So I'm thinking, I was thinking to myself around that time, God, so irresponsible. Why are you even out there if you're going to injure the animal and this and that? But I can't really, I can't really judge because I haven't been there. I haven't, mm -hmm. I haven't put my put the time in to be there. But just as an outsider looking in, I'm like, man, there's just so much that could go wrong. There, uh, are. Mm -hmm. you know, in in that, and it's, it seems like with a rifle, it's just more, uh, yeah, it's more fatal. It's more, uh, uh, I don't know, just. It just seems more complete. Like, okay, you have a bullet, high velocity, you've got a scope, it's easy, you mm -hmm. know? Or Yeah, you think that, but you'd be surprised at how many animals get wounded with a muzzleloader or a rifle also. Totally, totally. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when people are launching shots from... Mm -hmm. I mean, long range has been popular lately, right. and people are really good at long range too, but mm -hmm. I mean, I've, I've seen people launching shots too that are, you know... So. Yeah, and there and that's you talk about like sort of irresponsible. There's a few of those out there that are bow hunters who are just going to take shots, whatever they can get. You know, even if it's not a good one, they're going to take it. And there's some of those that hunt with a muzzleloader. There's some of those that hunt with a rifle. May not be the best shot there yeah. that they you know, but they've got the shot and they're going to take it. And you know, but that's the minority. You know, I feel like all hunters they are out there. They want to do their best. You know, they've practiced, they've done everything they can to make sure that they've got the best chance when they do get a shot. They want to make sure it's a good shot. They want to, you know, do everything right. Yeah. And, but, you know, you've got those people out there who can be a little more respons uh, irresponsible at times. And it's kind of too bad, but it, you know, all of that just goes, it's, kind of like that with everything you know? yeah yeah i've had um i can't say much because i've had my share of irresponsible moments mm -hmm. you know that i'm not proud of too yeah. i have too that big deer that i screwed up on i could have easily wounded him that big deer yeah by not you know getting set up and taking my time and actually getting my good shot in that i should have that was just a total thing but it was irresponsible yeah. even though like I had no clue what I was doing at the time. You yeah. know, I didn't intend to be irresponsible and, you know, take a bad shot, but I did that. And, you know, everybody, you know, just makes some mistakes at times. And 
wishes, you know, that they could go back and fix it or do it differently. Yeah. I had a, a conversation with uh, Travis towards the end of our podcast and we got into like the character of a hunter and that kind of thing. And I was telling him this really embarrassing story uh, of you know, some, some of the things that I've done that I'm not proud of. And um, uh, you grew up with your dad teaching you and your uncles and that kind of thing. And I was, I was telling him I'm late onset and I didn't have that. And so you're, I, this is going to sound strange to say, but I almost feel like hunting to me is uh, almost like a parent, like a, like a father that's not really there. And it's, again, it sounds strange, but it somehow builds my character. It makes me, it makes me better when I'm making mistakes out there. It tells me clearly in my spirit, in my heart that you did something wrong you need to make sure you don't do that again. You know, it's like, almost like someone talking to you and telling you that. Does, does that make sense? Because mm -hmm. I, I really feel that way when I make a mistake. I feel I feel bad inside. I'm like, wow. Just like with that with that buck, if I, if, if I had done that and I've done similar stuff just like that before, worse, you know, and injured an animal actually. And then I'm like thinking about it all night, like, oh man, like, mm -hmm. you know, why didn't you take more time? Why don't you put your pack down, put your gun on top of the pack? You know, he wasn't even looking at you. I, the, what you described, I've mm -hmm. done, you know? <laughs> and so, and, uh, but when you leave, you know, I, I don't know, maybe it's, I just, I'm real hard on myself, but I internalize it a lot, you know? And then what's even worse is sometimes I'll make that same damn mistake again because the moment gets the best of you. Mm -hmm. You see a big rack or you see like, you know, whatever the situation is you've been, working hard all day and you're like, I deserve this somehow. And it, you just, you just freak out and do, do what you're, you're not supposed to do. And so, yeah, that's, I, I feel like it's, I was telling Travis, this is one of the reasons why I continue to go out there because I'm like, yeah, I'd learn something about myself every time I go out. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. It's a good teacher. Hunting is, nature is, just the world is, you know, it shows us everything. Yeah. It shows us things that we maybe could have done differently or, should have done differently or you know it's always teaching us and yeah hunting's like that as well and the animals are always teaching you they are and they they're, are. <laughs> they're normally beating up on us yeah um but yeah i still learn stuff today out there after doing it my whole life there's still things just little things and i hunt a lot just based on how i feel you know i try not to think about things i hear a lot of people talk about they know exactly what the animal was going to do or they know, knew exactly where it was going to go. Or, And in my mind, I'm always thinking, I'm, like, I never think like that. I never think that I know what that animal is going to do or where he's going to be or that he was going to do this. Or, And I hear so many hunters talk about that. And to me, that bugs me a little bit. Mm. And maybe they do know, but in my mind, I'm like, there's no way I could know. Yeah. Because they're their own thing. They They've learned spent their whole life out there learning how to survive like how how could i possibly think i know exactly what that thing is going to do so i just go with what do i feel yeah like do i feel like i need to go around this ridge or do i feel like i need to not do anything big thing of hunting a lot of people get in a hurry and you talk about hunters and i talk about them you know getting frustrated or impatient or things like that a lot of times there's absolutely nothing to do and you just have to sit there and wait for an animal to make the next move. And a lot of hunters 
that I take, you know, even if we're watching a buck or a bull or it's the middle of the day and I feel like I don't know what to do, that animal's not doing anything, so we don't need to be doing anything and a hunter will get a little upset, a little impatient and feel like we got to make it happen. Mm. And me, I'm like, right now, we need to sit here until we have a next move to make. And I, I'm a very patient person and I'm happy to sit there for three hours and do nothing. And I've had to do that several times to kill animals. Yeah. But when I have someone telling me that, okay, we need, we need to do something, we got to make something happen. I know in myself through my experience that many times you don't do anything. You have to wait. Yeah. It'll present itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you try to make your move now, you're, your chances are, are a whole lot worse that, you know, you're just going to blow it and your chances are going to be gone. If we sit here for three hours or until that bull stands up and does something, then our odds of getting him go up a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's wow, man. It's so dynamic, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as you were talking, you were talking about sitting. Have you ever been in a situation where you're waiting for the animal to do something and you're in an awkward position oh yeah and you can't move and mm -hmm. you're like you're you're about to die like your muscles are cramping up and you're like <laughs> mm -hmm. you, can't, you can't even make you can't even move a muscle yeah and and you you have to consistently sit there have you ever screwed anything up that way like you had to move and you moved yeah not too often like but yeah it happens and you get just sometimes in crazy positions, it's like, why am I sitting like this in the first place? Or yeah, <laughs> why yeah, didn't yeah. I take more time? Yeah. A, but it just all of a sudden comes up and now you can't do anything. And you're so crumped you're, up in this yeah. weird position. Yeah. Usually, yeah. I mean, and sometimes you can hold it long enough to where they go back about their business and you're fine. And then you can make a little adjustment yeah. and get back into <laughs> it. But yeah, it sometimes things get blown. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I was looking at your physique. You're you're in good shape, and so I was thinking that to myself too. That you know, as we get older, we in in order for us to stay out there, we have to stay in good shape. Because mm -hmm. I'm sure you've been out there, and you're like, man, I know I have. I'm like, okay, this is that enough of this. Like even if it's like I've put on five more pounds, or I'm not at my ideal weight, and I'm up in the mountains, and I'm I'm feeling it where I ate something wrong the, the day before my diet has been off, I feel it up there now. Mm -hmm. And so I've been in order for me to like get into those positions and have that flexibility in those, in those things, I've been more conscious of what I'm doing outside of the mountains. So that also has made me better too. Right. Yeah. yeah. You start paying attention and doing things differently in the rest of your everyday life, you know, yeah. not just while you're out there, Yeah. you know, hunting. And so, yeah. There's always things to pay attention to and keep up on and improve on. Yeah. And so yeah. that's good. How old are you? Uh, 50. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And you were how old? I'm 47. 47, so, yeah. yeah, these last two or three years, I you know, have started noticing a lot bigger difference in, in how I feel out there and you know, how, how quickly I can run up the hills compared to the 28-year-olds. You know? Yeah, I work out twice a day, though. Like mm -hmm. I'm, in the, I'm in the gym in the morning. I'm either doing cardio in the morning. I try to swim if I can, if there's a pool around. And yeah, man, I, I mean, you have to, because if you don't and you're, you know, like I said, even the small things of like eating wrong, 
I feel it in my cardiovascular. Like mm-hmm. if I'm if I have a pack on and I'm I'm going up somewhere and I'm like, man, I shouldn't have had that pizza or whatever it was. Yeah. But when you're feeling good, I mean, you do you you feel like I mean maybe like the 28 year olds. I don't know, but <laughs> but I definitely feel good. Yeah. But um, I wanted to ask you about the governor's tag, and what that is, and is it? Uh, uh, it sounds expensive. It sounds like this like premier tag. Is that is that what it is? Yeah, and it's just an auction tag. The state auctions off to the highest bidder, and they can basically hunt anywhere in New Mexico between September first and the end of January. I see you know, public land, any unit, and so it's a big long hunting season. Wow. Um, statewide. And so they auction it off every year and, you know, they do one for deer, they do one for elk, they do one for all the species, you know, deer, elk, antelope, oryx, mm-hmm. sheep. Um, so there's different governor tags. The one we're working on is mule deer. So we're just out there trying to find the biggest deer that we can find for this hunter. I see. I see. Have you met the hunter yet? Yeah. He, this is actually the third year he's going he bought it. Wow. Um, so two years ago was the first year he bought it, and we found him a nice big buck and got him late in the season, like in November. Last year, we did not find one big enough. We had one that was close, but it didn't. We weren't able to get him, so this year we're out trying again. What, can I ask how much those usually go for? Is I'm it, not sure exactly what it was, but I believe it was in the 80,000-ish 80, 80, oh this gosh. year. Wow, crazy. So is it usually in that window, like right around I there? Feel like, I feel like it was under 80 the last two years, but I'm not positive I see. on those. Wow, is that is it worth it? I mean, how big of an animal do you get for 80,000? I mean, 000? it's... It's worth it to people that have plenty of money, for yeah. sure. Like, I would buy it if I was a millionaire or billionaire. Yeah. I would love to hunt the whole state for uh, several months, oh, you know, man. and be able to to just hunt do what with- I wanted and go where I wanted and try to find the biggest thing I could find. I see. Um, <clears throat> the buck we killed two years ago was scored 212 inches, big mule deer. Um, and generally, that's what people are looking for, you know. That some over two hundred inches, yeah. I see. Um, is there is there a tag that's like a notch down from that, or like did you get hunt the whole state, or is that's that's the premier tag? As far as I know, that's that's the tag. That's the tag. That's the get. only one. Yeah. I see. And all the states have something similar to that, right? A governor's tag. I don't know if all of them do, but I know like Arizona and Utah and like Nevada and Wyoming. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure about all of them, but yeah, I know several of them do. And those like Arizona, I think is over two or 300,000, you know, for their mule deer. Jeez, that's crazy. So, yeah. And it's like, you know, there's those tags and there's people who want them and there's people who are bidding on them. So they... They bid those prices up, just like the landowner tags. You know, there's people that want those. And over the years, they've just steadily increased them just because of the demand and what people are willing to pay for them, Yeah, you know, that really want them. So, so yeah, there's a lot of money out there in in that. Yeah. We've, we've discussed a little bit where, like, the good mule deer hunting is in the state. It sounds like in that northern area. In your opinion, like, your your top areas for elk, 
that that you find mature animals are you are you okay to say that or yeah i mean basically we hunt the gila mostly southwestern new mexico Uh um and just in the past all those units have produced big bulls also down like more central part of the state like cloudcroft riadoso area those areas they tend to kill a lot of big bulls down there. I don't hunt over there as much, mm-hmm. but I have guided hunts over in those units as well, kind of south central New Mexico over in there. But most of the hunting that we do is down in the Gila area, all those units. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the outfitter that I work for, they live down there. And so that's kind of where we base most of the hunts out of they know, that we yeah. do. Mm-hmm. I see. Have you, you said you've hunted there in a little bit in that central area. Have you hunted anywhere else in the state that, um, that you would, you could compare that herd to, or those herds to another herd and are they similar or have you noticed like if you've hunted somewhere else that the bulls or the, that herd behaves a little different or it's pretty much the same? Yeah. I mean, I haven't noticed that other, like a lot of it I've, feel like just depends on the country like Mm. up like you live up in farmington those elk up there you know they're more deserty animals kind of you know it's more it's not like big pine trees or aspens or fir trees and big ridges and stuff you know those elk out there they tend to act a little bit differently Mm. um But I haven't hunted them much. I just, you know, see them when we're on, up there hunting deer. I see. And I just feel like like down in the places I'm used to hunting, it's a lot thicker, you know, pine trees and a lot of that, or pinyon juniper, a lot more elevation kind of change. Yeah. And so I feel like they, they're a little bit different and act a little bit differently just based on where they live and the type of terrain they live in. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that with uh, the Roosevelt's in Washington. Mm. Like, um, I couldn't say that I don't have that much experience, but, um, it's definitely a lot thicker in those and, and wet in those areas where the Roosevelt's are and, mm-hmm. um, close, it's very close quarter hunting, man. Yeah. Yeah. And really like real majestic Lord of the Rings type, like, like, uh, fern forests uh-huh. and stuff like that. It's really yeah. cool. And so up there, those animals, they probably don't move very far. You yeah. know, between where they bed and feed and water, yeah. you know, compared to down here, sometimes you'll see elk move five miles during the day you yeah. know, or more just between where they're bedding at and, you know, going to, you know, down to the bottom to feed during the day or get water. They move a lot, you know, pretty great distances where I imagine up there, they may not do that as much, yeah. may not have to move as much. I don't know. Yeah, and they they also hear you coming. I mean, because you're right there with them. You mm-hmm. know, I I noticed that I was having success with a cow call, just walking through and stepping on sticks and just cow calling, and then they kind of ease them a little bit. But I made the mistake of like I don't know how long, just crunching through and just blowing everything out, and like I'm not seeing anything. But once I started cow calling and and making noise, they were so they were comfortable almost as mm-hmm. long as they didn't see or smell you they were just kind of like oh oh cow call and then they're just kind of moving around i'm like oh this is good <laughs> i'm just gonna cow call the, the entire time that i'm in here but i'm making noise uh-huh. so i discovered little things like that i've had to teach myself man like i yeah. haven't had i've 
hadn't been had the the fortune of having an elk guide or anything like that but just mm -hmm. just going through and falling on my face a lot and making yeah. my own mistakes yeah that's a good way to learn i mean that's how i did it basically yeah you know well, i mean my dad taught me and my uncles you know growing up with them but i hunt quite a bit differently than i was taught you know just because i started kind of doing my own thing once i got into college and just going off on my own just kind of learned okay well that maybe wasn't the best way to hunt, you know, the way they did it. So I learned a lot of it just by making my own mistakes and doing it like you're doing. So yeah, so that's good. Especially when you make a pretty crappy mistake, you you learn quick. Mm -hmm. um, do you are you still hunting with your family or? Uh, I mean, my dad still guides. He he's oh, wow. on, he's been guiding hunters longer than I have, and works for the same people, and so. Oh, that's cool. We don't you know, go on a lot of hunts together, um, anymore, but, you know, I'll see him at hunting camp or we'll be guiding on the same hunt at times. And, um, and my uncles, they kind of do their own thing. One of my, both of my uncles, they've been guiding as well the last few years. So they've kind of done their own thing. So we don't hunt as, as much together as we used to, but we're all mm -hmm. still very close and, and yeah. we're all still out there just kind of doing, you know, kind of separate things that's awesome mm -hmm. man you sound like you still you still have the passion for it like after all these years i can hear it in you that's good yeah stuff. at times i do i mean at times i feel like i'm so burned out especially like at the end of the season yeah um I, it's just exhausting like when you're hunting almost every day yeah for months um i i kind of get burned out but then i get a little break and i'm ready to get back out there yeah um, you're so practical in your videos too. Like when you're talking, you're like, oh, I'm just going to go get some gas and get something to eat and <laughs> get right back on it. You know, <laughs> I'm like, well, that's sometimes you got to do that's pretty refuel. Much, that's pretty much mm -hmm. what it is. Uh, so uh, I guess one of the big things I wanted to ask you out of everything was you, with all this experience that you have and you know, these, your videos, you have a lot of views in your videos, probably a lot of new hunters I would think too. And then just a draw of like the, some of the pictures, I don't know what you'd call them, but the, the pictures that's there when you click on the video, yeah, the, there's like the thumbnail, the thumbnail, mm -hmm. there you go, are so awesome. You're like, Oh my God, how do you get that? So you just click on it and then you watch the hunt and everything. So I'm, I'm sure a lot of new hunters watch what you do. What could you offer, uh, in advice for somebody who just started, you know, myself, you know, I'm, I'm on my journey. You know, I'm like five, seven years in. So I, I, I've told the people that I've talked to, especially the wildlife biologist, how I still feel like I just started. You know, mm -hmm. even though I, I do have that, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm more and more comfortable being out there. I love being out there. So that helps. The passion is there and all that. Um, but I'm on my journey. But somebody who just started, because see, I'm seeing more and more of that, like with Travis saying that all these licenses or you know people are that uh, they're breaking records and you know mm -hmm. with the amount of people that are applying people who are brand new as somebody who's seasoned like yourself what could you offer what what kind of advice would you have for somebody who just started hunting whether it's bow or rifle or elk or deer or anything else yeah i mean other than all the info that's out there you know as far as books and podcasts and videos you know there's so much stuff that's out there that you can learn from just other people that have been doing it and the content they're putting out. 
there's a lot of that out there, but the big thing like is just experience. So even if it's not hunting season, you know, get out there with your hiking boots and your binoculars and walk in the unit you're, you drill hunt in, you know, whether the animals have antlers on them or they don't go out there, look for tracks, start to figure out what a doe track is, what a little track is, try to start to figure out what a big track is, what a buck track is for sure. The difference, you can tell a buck track. Once you can actually learn, follow that track. See if you can follow it all day long. Hmm. In some areas in New Mexico, you can do that. You can follow, you can get on one track and stay on it all day. You can follow it for 10, 15 miles. Wow. You can jump it. You can see where it's running. You can see where it started walking. You can see when it decided it was done running and now it's time to bed down and look for you who's following it, the predator. Wow. Okay. Um, just spending time out there. Sit on a hill for an hour or two hours or three hours and glass in the middle of the day, you know, early in the morning, in the evening. Just get out there, act like you're hunting without your weapon. Look, mm. look for tracks, look for sign, look for rubs. Can you tell if that was a deer rub or an elk rub? Like start to notice things, start to notice areas that have a lot more tracks or a lot more fresh tracks. Start to, you know, learn if that track was made this morning. If you can tell, a lot of times you can tell a track that was made this morning versus a track that was made last night just because of a little bit of moisture on the ground from dew or something like that. You can tell a new track that was made. Just a lot of things just to pay attention to. Mm. Like what the country's like. Learn the country is a giant thing for anyone new hunting in any unit. I've hunted a lot of units that I've really never been in, but I, what I want to do is kind of learn a little area as quickly as I can that's got some animals in it because just knowing the country gives you a huge advantage to where the animals might head to, where they might go to bed down in, where they might go to feed in mm -hmm. and things like that. So, you know, just being out there and this acting like you're hunting and pay attention to, to the sign, to the droppings, to the rubs, to the antlers you might find, shed antlers, mm -hmm. and just spend time out there glassing. A lot of, like, we got hunters from all over the place and, you know, a lot of them aren't really used to hunting out here. A lot of them come from back east, so they're used to maybe sitting in a, in a tree stand hunting whitetails or sitting, you know, on a food plot. And they're not, they're not really experienced in looking for animals, finding them. You know, if a deer comes by your tree stand, you're probably going to see it or it comes out into the food plot. It's not, not very hard to miss. So we get a lot of hunters who come out here and... We take them out here hunting and a lot of them would never see an animal unless we pointed it out to them. Wow. So like glassing is a big thing and just finding them, being able to, you know, actually see an animal that's visible to you. Hmm. So a lot of people don't have that experience or practice and it takes, takes practice and it takes patience and it takes believing that, that you can, that there's something there for you to see. Yeah. Having a good attitude. Mm-hmm. So, um, so big thing, getting out there, yeah. just be out there, you know, mm -hmm. and pay attention to stuff. 
Yeah, you can watch your videos and that kind of thing and learn that way. But the the best way is to get out there and look at the tracks and look at the rubs and 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 do you pay attention? I, I would think you watch the weather. You, know, you pay attention to the weather a lot, or I don't pay that much attention to it because during hunting season we're out there. Whether it's raining, whether it's windy, whether it's snowing, mm-hmm. whether it's a hundred degrees. Yeah. So like sometimes I'll you know look at it, but generally it's not going to change a whole lot of what I'm doing. Just maybe wind direction or mm-hmm. something. Or if it's going to, you know, supposed to have a giant downpour all morning, maybe not go too far from the truck like I planned on or something, or, you know, pack my rain gear in my, in my pack, which I don't off, which I don't normally do. Yeah. Just little things like that. But uh, what about uh, safety? Uh, I know that, you know, coming from Hawaii, we don't have snakes or predators and that kind of thing. Do you, do you wear snake boots? Do you have, do you carry a pistol? Do you like? I don't. And everyone kind of does different things. Like I'm not too afraid of snakes. I run into them at times, just depending on where I'm hunting. So I'll be a little more careful and, you know, try to watch where I'm stepping at times. If it's, you know, kind of more in the earlier season when I think I might be in lower country or areas where I've seen snakes before. Mm-hmm. I'll pay a little more attention. I'm generally not scared of them. I, I've i walked right past snakes and had hunters, you know, call me and be like, hey, and there's like a rattlesnake coiled up that I just walked right by and my hunter happened to notice it. I see. And I'm sure I do that often. Um, if I do see them, I try to stay away from them. Yeah. You know, I don't want to get bit or anything like that, but I don't do anything other than, you know, pay attention to where I'm walking Mm-hmm. And generally when I'm hunting, I'm paying attention to where I'm walking because I'm carefully placing many of my steps in certain spots because that looks like the best place to take a step because that's going to be the quietest, quietest place to step. I don't want to step here or here or here. I want to step here. So I'm generally looking at my feet and looking to try to find the place I want to put my foot and at the same time, kind of making sure it's safe to put my foot there. Yeah, yeah. And pistols, I don't really, I don't carry them. Every once in a while while I'm scouting, I might just carry a pistol, but it's not not often or um, it's not like a habit or anything that I do. Uh, you just carry it when you like maybe know that there's a bear or cougar in the area possibly? or mm, No, just carry it, just to carry it. Oh, Like, okay. I think I'm going to take my pistol today. Oh, Okay. But not not scared of any predators or no, anything. No. Interesting. Yeah, I I wonder about that because I I I try to carry one all the time because I don't know. I'm just mm-hmm. not not educated, and you know you hear the rare stories of stuff happening. So just yeah, there's some rare stuff out there, and I mean, that's, that's our five o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to finish or do you? No, want no, to, no. Let's uh, finish up. Yeah. That, that's that was just a a reminder to get to yeah. the airport. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's nothing wrong with carrying a pistol for safety. I sometimes feel like I should carry one more often just because of the random things that you hear, you know. I'd be more afraid of a cougar than a bear. And just all the time I've spent out there, you know, I've kind of learned to not be afraid of these things, maybe be a little cautious if I saw a bear or something. Um, But I've really generally not been afraid of those things, so... But there's nothing wrong with that. And many times I feel like, okay, well, maybe I should carry one more often. 
Yeah. You would be more, like you said, uh, I say scared, but you'd be more cautious of a cougar than, than a bear. In my mind, I, I am. Yeah. Yeah. More, definitely more dangerous just cause I don't know. I don't know either, but in my mind, <laughs> a cougar would be more likely to pounce on me than a bear would. Yeah. Just is how I feel. And just like sort of, I guess, seeing the animals and interacting with them. Cougars, like I've, I know I've been very close to them before and just walked right by them by seeing their tracks in the snow, following my tracks (laughs) from like 15, 20, 30 minutes before. Mm -hmm. Really following you? Just right behind, not maybe not necessarily following me, but walking right down in the snow right after I did. So I'm leaving my tracks in the snow, went out, glassed on this little area and I left my hunter right over here and we spent about 30 minutes out there and I walk back because my hunter was probably 40 50 yards away from me where he was sitting glassing and so I was ready I was done glassing the area it was just a small place to look at that took like 30 minutes I got up to walk back to my hunter and all of a sudden I see a track of something running and it had just snowed that night so it was fresh snow and I could see like something bounced in the snow so I go and grab my hunter real quick. I, I thought, you know, well, sometimes birds leave a little, you know, scuffs or rabbits or something like that. And I didn't take time to look at the track, but I went and grabbed my hunter and just called him that we were heading back to the truck. And he came and we started walking back up and I, I got right back on our trail where we had walked down to. And there was that lion track, like right on top of our track. So I followed it right back down around to where I had seen originally seen that something take off and that lion was right there. And he, it was probably 10 yards from where my hunter was sitting. Wow. And so I don't know if he had just walked down and heard me coming and took off or saw my hunter and ran off. I don't know, but, but watching it was just, a, yeah. I mean, he was right there. Crazy. Now that's scary to me. Like that, I, I'm, I'm going to carry a pistol <laughs> <laughs> no matter what I think. And I don't know what it is, but, Really, for the first 10 years I was guiding, maybe saw one one or two mountain lions like that whole time being out there, several months a year. Yeah. And I don't know, the last, these past 10 years, I've probably seen 10 to 15 lions. Wow. Like just out, you know, doing my guiding thing and hunting and glassing. Interesting. Wow. So, so I don't know what that's about, if there's more lions than there used to be which I kind of feel like there are because they upped the tags. You can kill two mountain lions every year now, mm-hmm. where as you used to only be able to shoot one. So I assume maybe that's, they believe there's too many. I see. Um, it was just interesting that I, it was so rare to see them. And last year, I think I saw three and I saw some the year before and the year before. Cool. So, well, I'm going to, I've reached out to the uh, predator biologist for mm-hmm. game and fish here. Mm-hmm. So I'm waiting on, on him to get back with me. That would be interesting. To, oh, I'd love, mm-hmm. I've got so many questions about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, but yeah, I got to get to the airport, man. I'm sorry that we have to cut it short, but man, it was nice talking to you and I can't tell you how much, um, or how, um, thankful I am that we got to do this and, and, and you, uh, we just talked what yet was it yesterday or day before yesterday? 
And we just said, oh, yeah, let's just do it quick. We'll yeah. do it this day. <laughs> Came I, up quick. Yeah, because I know you got that, that governor's tag, and you're going to be busy looking around the state for that. And good luck with that. Thank you. And, uh, man, I hope to t- talk to you soon. I'm going to reach out to you for um, probably some guidance on my 5B, mm-hmm. too. And, um, you know, maybe you can help me out. I don't know. We'll yeah. see. We'll yes. see, especially since you didn't draw anything. <laughs> I did I feel, not. Yeah. But yeah, I feel like giving you half my tag if there was such a thing. <laughs> that would be nice because every once in a while, you know, someone who drew a tag, but they they can't go or they're not going to go or whatever. Yeah. It'd be nice. To... Can you split it? Like if you have four days, can you say, hey, you hunt these two days and I'll hunt these? Can it kind of give you the tag no, or it doesn't no, work like that? There's none of that. There's none possible. of that. Possible. Oh. It would yeah. be nice, though, you know, yeah. just was, kind of cool. I was thinking out loud. I was like, I wonder if that's a, yeah, I can't go these two days. Mm-hmm. You take, take my tag, you right. know. Yeah. That'd be cool. But no, anyway. There's none of that sharing, but yeah. No well, tag Good sharing. luck out there, and I appreciate you reaching out. And yeah, I think hopefully you're. Hopefully I answered some of your questions. No, I think your voice is really going to help a lot of people. I mean, even just the, the you're you're just scratching the surface here. I mean, we're not talking anything, um, any, any expert level stuff, you know, just, uh, just like you're helping me. I'm sure you're going to help a lot of other people if they listen. So thank you. Thank you again. You're welcome. Thank you. Okay.